Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, with a message titled, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I began this series on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, this this section on spiritual gifts by admitting that at times the subject of spiritual gifts tends to pit Christians, sometimes good and loving Christians against each other. I'm not here talking about extremes and charlatans or about people who hold laughing revivals and claim divine gold fillings in their teeth. I'm not talking about those who proclaim false doctrines like the word faith message, but those who hold faithfully to the essentials of the faith. I said that it is here that we sometimes find critical disagreements. I said the first area of disagreement is between those who call themselves cessationists and those who call themselves continuationists. You know, as a general rule, this is what cessationists argue. Cessationists believe that the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, that is, the gifts of the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, the gift of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, those nine gifts have to the most part disappeared at the end of the first century. Cessationists argue that the disappearance of these nine gifts corresponds with the completion of the New Testament and the completion of the Bible. That is, when the Bible was completed, those nine gifts were no longer necessary, so they ceased that cessationism. In contrast, continuationists will argue that the nine gifts in question are intended for the church at all times and that these nine gifts have never disappeared. They will argue that the only place the Bible tells us these gifts will cease is at the second coming of Jesus. So who belongs into which camp? Well, John MacArthur is a cessationist and John Piper is a continuationist and both are Bible-believing men. So by now, you'll have guessed that I am a continuationist, but I'm a careful continuationist. I want nothing to do with extremism, nor a faith that's based on just pure emotionalism, or of a faith that lacks a careful and a faithful exposition of Scripture. I'm a careful continuationist. Now, when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, I think that chapter carefully defines tongues and prophecy. Now, I will say that in my estimation, There have been people who have not understood these gifts well, and because of that, have allowed unbiblical expressions of these gifts, even to the harm of some of the people of God. And I am deeply concerned about that. And so please stay tuned. And please, let's lower the temperature on this debate and understand what we are and what we are not saying. But as controversial as the question of whether tongues and prophecy are for today, see, there's another matter that's equally controversial. It deals with a text that I read and I began with in today's program, and that's the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a new Christian, you might not understand what the problem is, but if you've been a Christian for some time and and you've not been living under a rock, well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
There are those in the Christian community who argue that the Church of Jesus is always in danger of being stuck between Easter and Pentecost. See, what do I mean? Well, Easter is the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection with the result that all who believe in him are forgiven of their sins and receive regeneration and are assured of an eternity of unending joy in the presence of God. And Pentecost, which occurred 40 days after Easter, is the celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the church. As the Holy Spirit comes upon the church or to the individual believers who make up the church, the Holy Spirit gives power to the church. Jesus had told the church that they are to preach the gospel to all nations. But how are they going to complete that task? And the answer is that they are supposed to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on them. And so when Pentecost arrived, the church was given divine power to make disciples of all nations. Now, back to the question. Is it even possible after Pentecost has come for the church, or for that matter, individual Christians to be stuck between Easter and Pentecost? I mean, is it really true that some Christians have received only the benefits of Easter and not the benefits of Pentecost? See, there are those who argue that since the original Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit was accompanied then by the speaking in tongues, and that tongues is the external evidence that one has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the debate. Some argue that unless you've had the experience of speaking in tongues, you've not been baptized in the Spirit, and you've not received key divine power. And others, and I'm strongly among this second group, argue that Pentecost opened the doorway to the power of the Holy Spirit for all of God's people. Everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord is baptized in the Holy Spirit. The passage I've just read answers that question so thoroughly that I, for my part, can't even imagine that there should be a debate. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13 is, in my view, overwhelmingly clear. Every single person who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord is baptized in the Holy Spirit. But before we go through our passage carefully, might I reach out to those of you who will disagree with me? See, I don't think it's possible to be stuck between Easter and Pentecost. I mean, such an idea is utterly foreign to the New Testament and more so to the text we've just read. But I also do not seek a quarrel with my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. For you are my brothers and sisters. We may disagree with one another, but I never forget that we are brothers and sisters. And so if you today have been taught that receiving the baptism of the Spirit is an experience that comes subsequent to conversion, see, I think your position is unbiblical, but we are still brothers and sisters. See, I, for one, have a great many friends in the Pentecostal community, and I am thankful for the emphasis on boldness and in sharing the gospel, for the emphasis on holiness, and for the emphasis of the real experiential presence of Jesus in all parts of life. And so if you're a Pentecostal, please don't stop listening to this teaching. Hear me out, not as your opponent and foe, but as your brother. And for those of you who agree with me, might I appeal with you? Be gentle, be loving, and look for ways to be gracious. See, for my part, I deeply desire a gentle and a respectful dialogue, not a harsh one. And by the way, when we're done, you might just be surprised where I think the scripture leads us. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Paul has been arguing for a vast diversity of spiritual gifts given to all of God's people, all coming from the one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And yet, while there are a diversity of gifts, the people of God are not a ragtag group of differently gifted people. Paul says we're one body. Of course, in the rest of the passage, Paul will extend that idea further, showing how interrelated we actually are. But for now, we do notice that while there is a world of difference between, let's say, a kidney and a, and a heart and lungs and skin and fingers and nerves and, and intestines, and yet these differences all make it possible for the human body to work in an amazing effectiveness. So it is with the different spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the body of Christ. We are unique and different, but we all make up one body, and we are all called upon to contribute to the whole. Now, from that, Paul adds a very telling statement. So it is with Christ, he says. See, I think the idea here should be compelling. Of course, when Christ was on earth, he was but one body. But now that Christ is raised from the dead and glorified and seated at the right hand of the Father, we know that he is incarnate in his church. Remember Galatians 2.20? Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, each believer should say the same, but, but here's the secret. Each church should say the same. It is Christ who lives in us. We are the outworking of the life of Christ. The gifts of the Holy Spirit make it possible for us to reproduce the ministry of Jesus in thousands and millions of local churches scattered around the world. The point is that we can't separate Christ from his church. Think of, for example, of Jesus' words in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. The branches can't exist without the vine, and the church can't exist without Jesus. One Christ, many bodies, many churches. And then to make his point, when we come to verse 13, Paul begins with the word for or because. How do I know that the great diversity in the church leads to unity and not to discord? And Paul tells us, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. He means to say that there is something that every true believer has in common. And it's so important to understand what that thing is that we have in common. Because if we fail to understand, we will fail in our unity. Hi, Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. I'm grateful to express our gratitude for those who supported the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with a financial gift during our fiscal year-end match campaign. Last month, we reached out across the country to ask for your help to sustain the Bible teaching and engagement ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. We're excited to share that we reached our match campaign goal of $75,000 in June resulting in $150,000 being contributed to our fiscal year end. The campaign was such a success that now an additional $50,000 has been pledged to continue our match campaign through July. So for the month of July, we share with you the opportunity to participate in an additional $50,000 for dollar match campaign. Every dollar you give will be doubled. Thank you for your generosity and commitment. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. There are seven references in the Bible that mention the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
The first four of these are found respectively in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all repeat the words of John the Baptist. Remember that John promised that one greater than himself was coming after him, and he, that is, the one coming after me, says John, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and that's all he says. And that leaves then only three more references to that phrase, baptism in the Holy Spirit, the entire Bible. Well, the next reference comes from Acts 1, 4 to 5. That's a reference to Jesus giving his last instructions to his disciples. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, as before, this reference is repeating what John had already said. Jesus is affirming that which John had said would happen. And so in just a few days, the church will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now the sixth reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is found in Acts 11, verse 16. Here Peter is speaking and he's recounting the words of Jesus. He says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So as we can see, six of the seven references to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that are found in the Bible all relate back to that single word that was spoken by John the Baptist and then reiterated by Jesus. Now we come to the seventh, the last reference to the baptism of the Spirit, and that's the passage we're studying, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now, because 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, one might think that that should end the argument. Paul is arguing that all believers have received this baptism of with or in the Holy Spirit. But there are those who are going to say, well, not so fast. Those who hold the classic Pentecostal position are going to say that, that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it doesn't refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. They're going to point out that in the first six references to the baptism in the Spirit, it is Jesus who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And, they say, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it's not Jesus who's baptizing us in the Spirit. Rather, in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So they say that rather than having Jesus baptizing us in the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Holy Spirit who's baptizing us into the body of believers or making us into members of the body of Christ. Well, so they say 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is not about the baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. Rather, it's about the baptism into the body of Christ or being made a part of the church, and that's done by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a very important distinction to Pentecostals because, well, they're going to argue that the word all doesn't mean that all have received the Pentecostal experience, but rather all belong to the church. Now, is that right? See, at first glance, it appears to be because in our English Bible, there seems to be a distinction as to who's doing the baptizing. See, in the first six passages, Jesus is doing the baptizing. He baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. But in 1 Corinthians, it is possible to read it as if the Holy Spirit is doing the baptizing. But this is so very important. That's not how the Greek or the original language reads. You see, if you place all seven texts side by side, they are completely identical in the Greek language. 1 Corinthians 12 is exactly the same as all the rest. There really is no distinction at all. So let me explain. You know, one of the early lessons in Greek grammar that all Bible students learn is a lesson around the Greek word en, E-N. 
you know, sometimes that word is translated as in in English. So baptized in the Holy Spirit. But in the Greek, the word en can be translated as, well, I learned it this way, as two by four within. You do one of those, two by four with or in. So that's why some of our English translations will say baptized in the Holy Spirit, and some will say baptized with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. Either way, it's still the same Greek word. I hope you're following me because it turns out this is very important. All seven passages that speak about the baptism in the Spirit. See, when you lay them side by side in the Greek language, they're all identical. You see, the only difference is that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it it speaks about being baptized in one Spirit rather than in the Holy Spirit. Now, outside of that, the passages really are identical. And so, since the original readers of our Bible read these passages in Greek, they would have seen no distinction between these seven references and neither should we. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 reads, in one spirit, we were all baptized. That wording is precisely the same as the words that Jesus used when he promised his disciples the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then Paul adds, we were all baptized in one spirit, and now there's an addition, into one body. So here's our question. Is he saying that we're baptized both into the Holy Spirit and into the body of Christ? And that sounds kind of strange. How can we be baptized in the Holy Spirit and in the body at the same time? But that's not strange language for Paul. Listen to very similar language in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 2. Listen carefully. Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You know, so Paul says, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Now, I don't want to get off track and try to explain this passage, but please notice Paul does speak of two events, the cloud and the sea as being part of that one baptism. Now, fast forward back to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. When all the New Testament people of God were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying they were also baptized into the body of Christ. Conversion, baptism in the Holy Spirit, membership in the local church, all of these things happened to all God's people at a single point in time. And says Paul, That's true of Jews and Greeks, and it's true of slaves and of free men. All of you, everyone had the same identical experience. You were all made to drink of that one spirit. That's what every Christian has experienced. Now, why is that so important? So listen up. The Holy Spirit is giving the people of God a variety of gifts, and the gifts are so very different from each other. One person has the gift of prophecy, and the other has a gift of tongues, and still another, a gift of wisdom. And then later on in 1 Corinthians, someone else uh, claims to have a gift of administration, still someone else a gift of mercy, and another a gift of teaching and of helping. Well, the list goes on and on. The gifts are so diverse, it's easy for those differently gifted people to think that, that they have nothing in common with each other, or for some to think that they're superior to the others. But, says Paul, you do have something in common with each other. Every one of you has the exact same experience with the Holy Spirit. You were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what holds the church of Jesus Christ together. See, once we deny that, we deny the very basis for the unity of the church. 
But there's also something else. Once we deny that, we will no longer think that we need each other. See, if Paul were speaking today, he would say to those who speak in tongues and to those who don't, don't you know what holds you together? You were both baptized in the Spirit. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an experience of some of God's people. See, it's the common experience of all of God's people. To fail to testify to this basic biblical truth is to break apart the people of God and destroy the fundamental unity of the church of Jesus. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord, and might I add here, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That brings us back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Notice the wording. One word, variety. The other word, same. Our experience of gifts are various, but our experience in the Holy Spirit is exactly the same as every other believer. And it is this basic confession of the church that draws us together. Now, having said that, let me quote to you from Wayne Grudem, himself a charismatic, but he must confess this basic biblical truth. He says, baptism in the Holy Spirit, therefore, must refer to the activity of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the Christian life when he gives us a new spiritual life in regeneration and cleanses us and gives a clear break with the power of the love of sin. In this way, baptism in the Holy Spirit refers to all that the Holy Spirit does at the beginning of our Christian lives, end quote. There's so much that could be said. We could talk about ongoing experiences of filling in the Spirit, but for now, let's be bound together by that basic Christian truth. John, thanks for your message today. You know, it conjures up in my memory a number of debates that I've had in the past. But can I ask you, my understanding is that this would be the belief of the the classic Pentecostal church, but not necessarily characterize the belief of all Pentecostal churches today. Now, that's exactly right, Ben, you know, and also of all charismatics today. So people will define various movements within a wider charismatic tradition. And, and I think this is why it's so important for us not to make these hard and fast rules about, you know, what every Pentecostal or every charismatic believes, because there is a lot of diversity in that movement. And so that's one of the reasons why I ask for a much more peaceful discussion where we actually listen to what the person is saying. And we do that, and we don't give up on our biblical position. But we also do believe that there are numerous fillings of the Holy Spirit, and some of them may may accompany a spiritual gift. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to continuing the subject tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Ephesians Volume 1, Empowered Living, God's Glorious Resources, is your free gift this July. Christ has promised us every spiritual blessing. We were once dead in sin, but now we're alive and have become examples of the incomparable riches of His grace. Yet some of us live in spiritual bankruptcy, while the wealth of heaven is at our disposal. How do we access this true wealth? We hear about others who have, but We don't know how to achieve it for ourselves. If you feel the struggle, I have good news. We've been given the book of Ephesians, which provides us the tools for empowered living. This month, we're making Dr. John's series on Ephesians Empowered Living Volume 1 available digitally or on CD 
free during July. To get your copy, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.